Do take a seat. Well, four years ago, November 2012, half of you weren't here then, but that's when I preached my first sermon on John chapter 1. And now, with other things uh, in between, 46 sermons later, we get to the very last chapter of John. For those who've been with us for that journey or part thereof, we saw in John's Gospel this bold, big beginning big claims made about Jesus, big miraculous signs that he performed, big claims about God's love for the world and Christ describing his great love for the world, the the suffering servant, the good shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep, big promises of life, of intimacy with God, of joy, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And more recently, seen those big events surrounding Jesus' death and glorious resurrection. And then we come to a barbecue on the beach. It kind of seems a bit mundane. I mean, don't get me wrong, a big catch and a barbecue on the beach sounds like a wonderful way to spend a Sunday afternoon. But in the midst of all of that, I think we come down to this everyday life. Uh, But for us too, as we think about what Jesus has achieved for us through his death and resurrection, we're left in everyday life asking that question, what difference does it make? What difference does the resurrection make to our everyday life? Well, I think as we look briefly at this final chapter together this morning, we'll see three lessons that Jesus gives us about what it means to live as his followers, as his disciples, in the light of the resurrection. So this uh, passage begins, the disciples have uh, returned to Galilee after Jesus' initial uh, resurrection appearances in Jerusalem, and momentarily they've returned to everyday life. Peter, always the leader, declares, I'm going fishing, and half a dozen of the other disciples join him. We don't really know why, what the motive behind this was, whether Peter as an ex-fisherman just wanted to return to the comfort of something familiar for a time, or whether they're kind of just at a loose end killing time until they uh, get further guidance from Jesus as to what they're doing, a, a time of kind of regrouping, uh, or whether they're just hungry, they need some uh, extra pocket money to replenish the kitty. Whatever it is, they go out fishing. And the first thing we see here is that before they set out on the great missionary task with which Jesus has entrusted them, that the disciples receive a powerful reminder that even in the everyday stuff of life, apart from Christ, they can do nothing. And our first lesson from this passage, apart from Christ... We can do nothing. So they're out fishing on the boat. They've had no success overnight. And like every fisherman knows, there's an expert who comes along and says, you caught anything? Have you tried this? Well, a man, a figure appears on the beach, offers some suggestions 
For whatever reason, they respond and throw the nets on the other side and have this enormous catch. Well, the Apostle John, always the the most discerning one, immediately recognises the link. Remarkable catch. It's Jesus, the Lord, on the beach. And Peter, always the, the enthusiast, grabs up his clothes, dives in, swims ashore and then helps drag this massive haul in. 153 fish. And what fisherman doesn't know the exact size and weight of their catch? So they come ashore and Jesus is already there with a fire burning and fish cooking and invites them to come and have breakfast. No doubt a welcome invitation for hungry disciples who've been working all night without any joy until that final cast of the net. But just in that simple action too, the disciples are reminded that even the risen Christ, after all the remarkable things he'd been through and his glorious resurrection, the risen Christ continues to serve his disciples. He's not even dependent on their catch. He already has fish cooking on the barbecue, although he invites them to bring their contribution, which he himself has enabled. It's a fairly ordinary setting and a simple miracle. But do you see what happens? Jesus actually is affirming them in that everyday role as he provides for them. He doesn't say, hey, what are you blokes doing out on that boat fishing? I've got a bigger task for you. Why aren't you out there spreading the good news of my resurrection? Now that task will come for the disciples. But Jesus affirms them in the everyday role and says simply, have you tried the other side? A simple reminder for them, particularly in the light of what Jesus will call them to do as they do go out with that message of good news, a simple reminder to them that the risen Christ is Lord over all things. All things are subject to him and they can do nothing apart from him. All night fishing, no catch. They can do nothing apart from him. A humbling reminder that all they do is not in their own strength. It's only because Christ enables them. When Christ turns up and tells them to cast their nets on the other side, then finally their work is productive. Serves to encourage them, and you can see the point for us too, serves to encourage us that without Christ we can do nothing But with Christ, we can do great things. And Christ takes their contribution, their fish, and adds it to what he's already provided. A reminder for us, not just in kind of the churchy things that we might think, that apart from Christ, it's easy to think in the work of formal ministry that we depend on Christ for that and then try to do the rest of our lives in our own strength. But the reminder to the disciples here, the reminder to us, is that in the light of Jesus' resurrection, what it means to follow Jesus is recognising 
and living life in acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord over all things, in control over all things. And so we need to depend on him for our needs in all things, thanking him for our blessings and recognising they're not our just reward as if we deserve them, but God's gracious gift to us. Lesson number one, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But lesson number two, in spite of us, Christ can use us for God's glory. Peter, the enthusiast, grabs his gear, jumps in the water, races to meet Jesus. And that's typical of what we've seen of Peter through John's Gospel and the other Gospels as well. Always the enthusiast, quick to offer his service. It was Peter who said, I'll I'll go with you even to death, Jesus. And yet he carried a deep burden, didn't he? Because Peter, having declared his willingness to go and even die with Jesus, he famously denied him three times as Jesus stood on trial. Let's have a look at how uh, this episode continues from verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter bears this great burden and here Jesus gently brings that burden out into the open, offering Peter forgiveness and restoration. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, here is now affirmed and restored three times by Jesus. His public denial is reinstated, he is reinstated with a public affirmation. Peter had failed Jesus greatly, had committed to him and then failed to follow through on his commitment. But Jesus says, I forgive you, I restore you, you have a job to do, an important job. Care of his sheep, care of his people, feeding them, nurturing them, teaching them, equipping them. God is truly a God of second chances And it's not the perfect life of Peter, but his love for Jesus, which is the criteria for service. Not a perfect life, but love for Jesus, which is a criteria for service. 
for Peter and for us. Peter was called to a particular important ministry, care of Christ's sheep and a willingness to lay down his life for them. Peter, who before Jesus' death had declared a willingness to die with him, well, now Jesus calls him to just that, in the service of the risen Christ, to glorify God. When Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And according to Clement of Rome, in about 96 AD, Peter did just that. Sorry, in 96 AD, Clement of Rome, writing about Peter, uh, described that Peter suffered martyrdom, crucifixion, stretching out his hands under Emperor Nero, uh, probably around 64 to 66 AD. Jesus charges him with this important ministry, warns him of the direction that will take him and invites him, follow me. At one level, it's a, let's keep walking down the beach, come with me for a chat. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's calling Peter to consistent discipleship. This is what I'm asking of you, Peter. I want you to follow me. And Peter lived maybe 30 years with that promise of martyrdom hanging over his head as he sought to follow Jesus faithfully and to care for his sheep. But Jesus' invitation to Peter there is an invitation to us too for this kind of pursuit of the risen Lord, not to martyrdom, I suspect, not for many, if any, of us but to faithful service and trust in the Lord Jesus, to follow him. A reminder to us, though, that our standing with Jesus is not affected by our success or failure, that we shouldn't be saying to ourselves, I'm not the kind of Christian I ought to be, or the trap of thinking, if we just try harder, we'll feel better about it. And this is a reminder that in spite of us, Christ can use us and calls us to his service. In spite of Peter's very public denial of Christ, he restored him, forgave him and said, Peter, I've got a a task for you to do. Follow me. And in spite of all our past failures and our continued sins, Christ says to us, I forgive you, I restore you, I've got a job for you to do. So follow me. Lesson number two, in spite of us, Christ can use us for God's glory. And lesson number three, Christ uses each of us in different ways, yet we are all to follow him. Have a look at verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Remember, this is John's way of describing himself, the Apostle John following after Jesus and Peter. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, 
If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread amongst the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies these things, who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Christ called Peter and John to very different roles, very different ministries. He called Peter to pastoral ministry, to care for the sheep and to martyrdom. He called John to a long life and a strategic written witness. John's task was to provide us with this gospel uh, and the letters and the teaching that he gave to establish the early church. And so when Peter says, oh, you're calling me to care for the sheep and to martyr them, what about him? Uh, it could have been a kind of jealous, well, what about him? Uh, it could have been just his, Peter's natural concern for, well, you're calling me to martyr them, what, what about the rest of them? Whatever it is, Jesus says, don't worry about what his role is, worry about the task I've given you. I've restored you and given you a job to do and I call you to follow me in faithfulness to that. And I've forgiven him and uh, restored him and given him a job to do and his job is to follow me in that. There's a danger for us, isn't there, of comparing ourselves to other Christians to see how we fit on the pecking order, to see whose role is more important, more valuable, to compare ourselves to those around us or to shrink in insignificance as we compare ourselves to Peter and John themselves. Not everyone is called by Christ to such a responsible task or, thank God, to such a dramatic end. But our task is to follow Jesus wherever he has placed us. And with whatever role and gifts we discern he has given us to do. Not to compare ourselves to others, but to follow him wherever he places us. Whether in leadership or not. Whether in business or not. Whether in the home or the local community. Whether as single members of the church or as parents in marriage. Wherever God has placed us, he calls us to be faithful to him, to follow him, and to get on with the job that he has given each of us. John recognises that if everything Jesus did was written down, there wouldn't be enough library shelf in the world to contain it. It's a good thing Jesus didn't call all of us to write written witnesses to him. The Bible, you know, it's, it's hard work to get through in a year by, as it is, but if there was, you know what I mean. Jesus calls us to be faithful to him where he places us and to follow him. And we follow him, don't we, as we commit ourselves to him, as we desire to read his word and to obey it, as we entrust ourselves to him in prayer, as we trust him to order the circumstances of our lives 
as we seek to serve him, to serve his people, to serve our neighbours and those in need, and even to serve our enemies. So three lessons. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. In everything, in every area of our lives. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But lesson number two, in spite of us, Christ can use us for God's glory. And, and lesson number three, Christ uses us all differently, but we are all called to follow him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, teach us to depend on Christ for all things. Grow us in our love for Christ that we might be equipped to serve him. Feed us through your word and help us to feed others. Shape us as we seek to live all our lives following Christ. And take us, we pray, in spite of all our failures, that you might continue to restore us, that we might know your forgiveness, and that you might use us all to bring honour to you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.